Hey there, everybody. Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. Uh, of course, we always have topics to talk about, and today is an interesting one. Um, when I was a little guy growing up in the 70s, my family, one of the places we used to take the old Crestliner Muskie 550 Tri-Hull boat out to was Lake Minnetonka, and we used to launch up on the north end of the lake, Maxwell Bay or the North Arm Launch. So those boat launches are very distinct to me, and all the scenery around, the old water towers and the bridges, they take me back to my childhood, and it's funny because I still spend a lot of time there these days, and uh, my guest for chat today spends even more time in those areas than I do. Tony Bruff, um, who does a lot of work on Lake Minnetonka. How the heck are you? I'm excellent today. Is yeah. the boat away for the winter? We, we winterized it. It's in the shop and all ready to go right at ice out next year. I always say this jokingly to people, but Lake Minnetonka is yours. That would be incorrect. It's everybody's. So everybody has as much right to that as I do. No, but you are the keeper of the lake in many ways. Talk about your job. You deal with the waterways, the invasives, the public access, and you work really hard at it. I do enjoy my job. So, yeah, I came to Hennepin County, so I'm a Hennepin County employee uh, in 2001. So I think last summer was my 20th summer on the lake. And interestingly, uh, you know, Hennepin County's been doing dredging and channel work in, in Lake Minnetonka since 1880s. Hmm. And then in the early 70s, they developed a little program called the Lake Improvement Program, which was formally adopted in 1978. And that kind of tied all the work that they were doing together into one little program. So uh, we take care of 33 channels around Lake Minnetonka. And these would be the channels used by the general public. So it's not like, you know, just going back and servicing 10 homes or something like that. But these would be the areas that go from bay to bay. And, and that's one of the intriguing parts of that lake, right? It is not a big round bowl. It is thousands upon thousands of acres of bays and channels and points and isthmuses and all that other stuff. And it's it's right here in a metro area. If, if you've never visited Lake Minnetonka, it is surreal. There are little boats. There are big boats. There are lots of boats. The fishing is incredible. The water quality in many parts of the lake is very good. There are multi-billion dollar houses on it and little cottages. It just is this magical place. But you talk about those bays and those channels. 200 years ago, was Lake Minnetonka essentially what it is now? Or was a lot of that, you know, they were little separate lakes that were connected? I mean, what's the history there? Yeah, so there'll be other people that definitely know the history better than me. But uh, many of the channels weren't like they were today. What's mm -hmm. just an example, Narrows Channel. The steamboats used to go through there, and it was very shallow. And they'd have to power up, wait for the wave to come back, move forward a little bit again 
wait till the wave come back, and that's how they'd move through the channel, inch by inch by inch. That seawall, which is a concrete seawall, was built through the WPA program in 1938. So hand-dug, hand and they created this boating channel. So yes, it's, it's just amazing how much it's changed from the beginning to now. Um, and you're right about points and bays. I mean, one of our jobs is we put out the buoys on Lake Minnetonka, and I have 183 point buoys. Alone? Alone. I'm probably comfortable in saying that that's more than statewide. Yeah. Because, because that's what it is, points yeah. and points and points. And and so uh, it's just a really interesting, there's structure out there that is just amazing and, and history that others will know a lot better than me. You're one of the first on the lake. You're one of the last on the lake, spring and fall. And, and I'm not being silly in asking this, but, I mean, you put out hundreds of buoys. Do you have to pay attention to a very specific map when you're doing that? Or 20-some years into this gig, do you just kind of know? I'm very particular about where they go. Because they need to go in exactly the same spots? Or based on what water levels, which Minnetonka stays fairly steady, unless there are times of drought. but Things can always change. Um, but typically, we will put them in at eight feet of water in the spring with the understanding that it could be possibly six feet of water come fall. So there's a little bit of a buffer there. Um, I will use the GPS. Mm-hmm. I will use the depth finder. I will use my knowledge. But the ultimate placement is with a pole that we stick in the ground and go, yep, there's eight feet. I, ta- I drop a temporary jug and then we have a contractor that comes out and picks up my jug and pushes the buoy and anchor out at that spot. How, long, how long does that process take? Yeah, so my first year, I think it took me 10 days, and now I'm down to five days. And that's just technology and knowledge and all that, um, that that's increased it. So it's five long days. You know, we're doing 100 buoys a day. Um, there's 525 on that lake. I also do the buoys on Lake Sarah and Lake Independence mm-hmm. a lot less, but that's that's a day. Um, so yeah, we're out there. As soon as the water patrol calls ice out, we're working. You go. Yep. And the w- one thing about it though is, we can't go if it's windy, because you just can't get them done right and into I'm, the right spots. Yep. Yeah. And we can't go if it's. Uh, wet because the barge would just be too slippery and that's just not safe either. So we do have to pick our time, but when it's, you know, I don't, if it's 32 degrees, but there's no wind uh, and it's dry, we're, we're out there. Minnetonka is a very unique lake. Again, I'll be sitting with the kids in the fishing boat, casting a point, and there will be like 45-foot cruisers racing by me, right? It's just, it's a very unique lake in that regard. Um, we always chuckle because you always, I mean, like clockwork, every summer see at least a couple of buoys that get blown up or plowed over. I mean, what do you see in a normal summer? How much maintenance do those things take? So it, it does change from year to year. The last two years have been some of the um, most maintenance that I've had to do. And I don't know if that's because of the increased number of people boating mm-hmm. or if it's just new boaters that are, have less experience. But um, 
Well, what's that white thing floating in front of me? I don't know. It's got a red diamond on it. We should go check it out. Kaboom. And and I really would encourage people to, to just understand the bay first, you know, figure out the buoys are aids to help. They're not guarantees. You know, I can't guarantee that somebody didn't move that. Mm. And so they're there to aid you. So you need to know where you are. You need to know the specifics of your boat. And you need to know generally, you know, where are the reefs? Where are the points in this bay that you're, that you're in? And the buoys should be there to go, yes, this all makes sense. I'm good to go. And, and if everybody kind of had that mentality, it's just such a safer situation. And, I, you know, you, you see the people that just think water is water and I can boat everywhere. Yeah. And, and um, you know, most of them learn it through experience. Just That's driving. Not, you don't have any lines. That's right. Right? Ugh. I... I've always been intrigued by navigation on lakes because I go back to that family boat we had. I remember going to pick it up as a little kid, Mel, Mel's Marina down in Waconia, something like that, and the dog they had was taller than I was. And I remember Dad getting that Crestliner, but there was a placard that was riveted into the fiberglass by the throttle, and it showed every buoy and what the colors, what the shapes, what everything represented. And as a little kid sitting in the bottom of a boat, I would study that placard, right? The colors and the shapes. And it's, it sort of defines you a little bit when you're on water, just the pictures of those things. Um, I've always told you, I think Minnesota should mandate that every person needs to take a little bit of a test so they understand that stuff. Because otherwise, unless you pay attention to your research, you don't know what that means. And I'm sure you deal with that all the time. People pointing to the black and white stripes saying, what's that one do? Yeah, and, and it's just always been that way. You know, you're going to have some people that are more experienced, some people that are newer, some people that um, are just less experienced, and you see it down the highways too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's people, and... Uh, um, the the easier we can make it for them, the more enjoyable we can make it for it. And if they learn it, they should be proud that, hey, I get this. And it's pretty exciting when you understand what you're looking at, and it just makes the day in the water so much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And when you're relaxed out there and you're enjoying it, there's nothing better than being on a lake. You know, yeah. Especially that one. I love lakes with diversity where you can just go and make tracks, and explore. You don't have to see the same things twice. And that's one of the things I love about Minnetonka. But getting back to your job, you are the director and the protector in some ways. Invasives. Holy cow, what a monumental task for you to have to try and wrestle. Yeah, so one of our programs in Hennepin County is Aquatic Invasive Species Prevention Program. And it's not just like Minnetonka. We, you know, all 50 public accesses we got around the, the, the county we, we work towards. And we work um, at identifying pet and aquarium places throughout the county that are doing it right. And those that aren't selling things that they shouldn't be selling, we work with them. Uh, we had discovered a, 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 a prohibited crayfish this summer being sold in Hennepin County. 
and the uh, store and the supplier were wonderful, and we kind of got that shut down. It's a species that you can't sell or mm-hmm. own. Uh, we worked with Lakeshore homeowners on education, and then you know one of our guidelines allows me to partner with people and 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 uh, agencies that own public accesses and work towards aquatic invasive species prevention outreach at directly at the access. So um, it's a, you know, it's it's definitely a partnership. You know, Three Rivers Park District, Minneapolis Park District, DNR, the county, and even these watershed districts, the Lake Minnetonka Conservation District. I mean, we all have a role. Mm-hmm. I like to say I, I try to stay within my bobber and, and, and do my role and, and uh, you... You 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 put me in a little too high of a, a pedestal there at the beginning, but uh, you know we we try to do what we can do within our role. But all the people in most of those agencies, I would argue, feel a little bit of the same. We all have a little slice of that lake, and when we're there, it feels like it's ours, right? We are the land of ten thousand lakes, and when you have memories, in my case. My first boating memories, right, after our family moved down from Canada, Lake Minnetonka, Lake Independence, Long Lake. Those were the pieces of water I knew, and that, you know, just defines you. Um, There are markers. It's funny, on Minnetonka, when I'm on that north end, I can still be going a certain direction on that lake and think back to when I was whatever, seven years old, remembering the sound of the tornado siren as dad is making his way back towards Maxwell in the dark clouds to get the boat on the trailer before the storm hits, right? Like, that's a, it just, it's who we are. It's, it's our culture. It's our place, yeah. yeah it definitely is, yep. In, in, in my case, it's catching on that lake. <laughs> in your case, it's... It's a job, and there are days where you're like, oh, I got to go all the way over there to bring back a red channel buoy that broke from its anchor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through all those no-wake areas to yep. get over there, uh, and then I have to kick myself because it's like, come on, I, you know, I could be sitting and looking at a computer screen, right? Right. Um, but, you know, you get the call. We want to take care of it. We do it, and and it's something that I think Hennepin County and and specifically me, I'm I'm very proud of what we do and and how we we take care of that aspect of it. All right, I want to get to this next topic because it's really the reason I want to chat to you today. You are a little bit like an artist right now. You have an empty canvas, and you are getting ready to create on Lake Minnetonka. Hang tight. Let's pay some bills first. Tony and I will talk about this. It's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Thanks for listening. You are listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. And we have a ton of great sponsors who help make this project um, available each week. First up, Thousand Hills Lifetime Grazed Beef. You know, here we are. I make a career talking about clean water, native habitat, and the best environmental practices. It is exactly why I love Thousand Hills Lifetime Grazed Beef. It is locally raised beef done differently. Let me explain. See, Thousand Hills uses what is called regenerative 
agriculture to raise cattle. Those beef cows, they graze in fields of wild grasses, and they move between different fields. It is a sustainable ecosystem free of synthetic fertilizers and chemical herbicides. It's a system of agriculture that promotes clean water, natural grasses, and the best part, the best beef you've tasted. My wife and sons, we love to grill and smoke, and we do it several times a week, and now we cook with Thousand Hills Lifetime Grazed Beef. Yes, the Shirk Boys look forward to those meals. Beef raised the right way. Check out Thousand Hills Lifetime Grazed Beef to understand regenerative agriculture and fall in love with Thousand Hills. Also, We'd like to thank the Minnesota Propane Association. Hi, I'm Laura Shera. And did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years, while electric heat pumps only last 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat to your home. Why buy two heating systems when one propane furnace can do it all? It lasts longer, works better, and it costs less. These things and more are done with propane today. The right energy right now. All right, back to the fun stuff. Um, Tony Bruff is a good friend of mine. I'll be out on Lake Minnetonka, you know, at minimum throttle, going through a channel. I'll hear, hey, get out of my way. <laughs> and I get all red face and start looking around. Here's this guy in a boat waving and laughing. You are one of the caretakers of Lake Minnetonka. And I am intrigued by what is on your work plate right now. Before the break, we talked about you're a little bit of an artist right now, um, but you have an empty canvas, and you're getting ready to tackle a very interesting and intriguing project, redesigning Minnesota public access to lakes. So we've done it at a smaller level with aquatic invasive species prevention at all these lakes, but Hennepin County has two public accesses. Spring Park, which is over by the Water Patrol, mm -hmm. and then North Arm, which is obviously in North Arm Bay. And North Arm is like your typical 1972 public access. Yeah, it's old school. Yeah, works wonderfully. It's used a lot. And when I say used, you brought up diversity. And that's one of the things that my leadership of the county is really, really pushing and promoting and something that we want to do right now. And we have people that go there daily to fish. For fish. fish. Yeah. Yes. Food. Um, they love it. They're so happy. And they're sitting on orange gravel, probably not completely something ADA compatible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, people stack up along that shoreline oh, because they're always fish around you know um the first thing we shot after sitting out for a while with covid was the minnesota walleye opener in whatever that was 20 and we sat at north arm and there were people so excited to be out fishing there were people in boats it's it's an old boat launch but it's a busy one. People are fishing. People are launching. People are walking around. And you're going to redesign it and turn it into something modern. How do you even start to think about that? So, you know, we started looking at it and the, the asphalt's getting to the point where it's going to need to be redone. And I just thought, why does this have to look like 1980? 
why can't we make this something that's more 2021 and towards the future, which probably will be some electric vehicles, um, probably something that we want to have more sustainable solutions, maintenance less, and something that, more importantly, the city and the county and the users can be super proud of. And so we just started the planning. I got to, you know, make that clear. We just started with this. And um, we're going to look at all the components that we could do on this. And we got kayakers out there. We got fishermen. We've got people with really, really big boats that want to get in and out and have difficulty in a lot of places on Lake Minnetonka. Um, we got bass fishermen. And, and so the diversity of the use is there. And I was at a public place and I was just looking around and it was so simple and easy and comfortable and calming. And I don't know what architects do there. I don't know that. But I could feel it when I was sitting there. And I thought, why can't we have the same feel at a public boat access? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're striving towards. Um, I've just started the pilot of the vision of what it could look like. And we'll, we'll try to put a, a cost to that. And we're definitely going to get public input. We're going to use environmental stewardship so people are empowered to take the correct actions when they're there, whether that's not littering or whether that's pulling your drain plug out of your boat. Um, hopefully, it improves the quality of life. Hopefully, my maintenance needs are a lot less year to year. And hopefully, we can incorporate some sustainable solutions, such as wind power and solar to, to make it basically uh, carbon-free. And part of the point here, I think, is you're going to provide the footprint, an example for the next generation. This isn't about Lake Minnetonka. This is about Minnesota. Because if you figure out what the future looks like, everyone's going to copy you, right? Well, <laughs> you always hope for that, don't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and in a way, I, I, I wouldn't want that. I would want the next version to be even better than mine, or ours, I should say. Um, so, you know, I'm not the architect. I'm not the designer. I ramble and throw out 20 ideas, and all of a sudden one of them is like, hey, that's kind of a good idea. You know, and the other 19 were ridiculous. And I'm not afraid to do that, and we keep doing that. And if you feel comfortable enough talking to your consultant and sh just throwing out and, and, and uh, free-willing things, then ultimately, you know, you get some pretty neat ideas. And we found a small upstart company that, at, at local, and um, I've been extremely happy with what's going on so far. So that's, that's where we're The upstart doing the cleaning stations uh, or say, something else? Uh, upstart company or just a smaller company that, that just started in, as far as... Uh, uh, as far as designing? Yes, yeah, yeah, as I far see. as the architect, yep. I and, see. And so um, I didn't want it, I didn't want the first vision to be with someone that's already designed a public access. Because I did Too many preconceived notions. You got it, yep. And so, um, you know, this is just the beginning. We'll have our, our, our vision, uh, I would say, at the end of this year. And then, you know, it's really up to the leadership of the county to the public, to the, um, the people around the lake on what do you think, you know? And, and it could be a destination spot. There's no reason why we can't have a bus stop there. Uh, 
and and that would allow people to get there that obviously don't have vehicles. Interesting. Uh, yep. So so what else, right? Because a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, well, I guess I'm not quite following. You need a ramp to put boats in and take them out, and you need some parking spots. Yeah, so if you ever brought a paddleboard or a kayak to a public access that's basically concrete or asphalt, um, we're, you know, how do you get it off your car, get it over to the lake without scraping it everywhere? Um, where do you park? Because most of them are trailer and truck only. If you show up to fish, is there space to fish? Right. Where and, do you park? And right. and there's like, you know, a handful of parking spots for cars, and those are used a lot. Hmm. And the other aspect of this is, you know, we got to think about the stormwater. And as we're getting heavier rains, how can we do this? And if we can take that stormwater and put it all underground and treat it that way, all of a sudden my footprint just has increased 25%. Mm-hmm. which allows for more use from more users and diverse users. Because I would argue historically, trying to control that water, it's got a free run into the lake. You're trying to obviously filter the bad stuff out of it. That's a hard process to do in a finite area like a boat launch. It is. And if we use a stormwater pond, which is the typical way, you run it to a stormwater pond, a lot of times the sediment builds up and bypasses, so there's a lot of maintenance with those. And they take up a lot of space. And they take up a lot of space. And it's another thing to maintain around that stormwater pond. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's some really creative stormwater um, processes now that we can incorporate in here. And all of a sudden, you know, every square foot is so valuable on that lake. Um, Literally. It, it, it really is. And, and so, you know, the other concept is... Uh, um, climate and and uh, carbon-free and renewable energies is really, really high on Hennepin County's um, leadership and direction towards us. So incorporating examples for single-family developments of, hey, if you wanted a small windmill, this would be the kind, and this is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like if there's noise. This is, you could go right there if you were a council member from a city or or if you're just a homeowner and you could see it and go, okay, I'd be comfortable with that in my yard or my house. And this is how much power you may get from it. And if here's what solar panels do. And if there's other renewable type things, you know, there's some solar walks now. And even in the fishing piers, we can make little bump outs and we could have some lights that you know, the homeowners aren't going to see, but at least it allows them to fish at night. There's a mm-hmm. lot of people that, that, that are there at night, and it would be safer um, and, and wouldn't cost anything. The other thing you've tested on Minnetonk, and I think, I think you've had decent results, are these cleaning stations. Yeah, so that's an aquatic invasive species prevention action that we've been trying to do to create somewhat more of a, a social norm. So it's like you come out of the axis, here's where you go. You stop at this line. What do I got to do? Clean, drain, drag. Got it. Okay. And by the way, if you want, here's the tools to make it easier for you. Yeah. And we're not talking about the DNR truck with the big, you know, plastic thing they lay out in the parking lot and get underneath and spray your boat down. This is a self-contained box that has, let's see, 
um, nippers on it for grabbing weeds. It's got the air compressor to blow air to get water out of props and areas. Um, vacuum. What else? It's got a light so you can do it after dark. What am I missing? Yeah, and then th- it depends. Some have a brush. A brush. Um, yep. Yep. And and uh, then there's yeah the vacuum for if you wanted to take the water out of your live well or something yep. like that. And so those tools and, and Lake Minnetonka is not the only place we've done this. Now we've partnered with 18 different accesses. We got 20 of these throughout the county. So slightly over a third of our accesses now have this high level access uh, AIS prevention redesign. And these tools can actually measure anytime the public uses them. So if you pull the grabber tool, it, it counts it. Right. And you know, it's, I, I, you know, it's not a hundred percent accurate, but it's pretty darn close. See, and I was amazed when these first went in, you told me, yeah, they measure use. Every tool will have a ticker on it. And I thought, uh, really is anyone good? And you were kind of blown away by the feedback. I was, we, we piloted in 2017 and that was like, Oh, they're using them. Right. <laughs> it was fantastic. And so we just celebrated, by the way. We started this in two, middle summer of 2017. We don't you know, we just add a couple every year. Um, we just celebrated over 100,000 tool uses this summer. Wow. Yep. So, um, you know, and it's for the day user. If you are, you know, you got your boat at your house and you go out to the lake and you use it that day and you come out of the water, all, you know, at if you're under 24 hours, you're not going to have zebra mussels attached at that point. So really it's get the vegetation off the boat and trailer and get the water out of there and you're good to go. And so that's what it's for. That's what it's targeting. And, um, you know, I had my first big aha moment on this when I was, uh, there's a dog park over at Lake Sarah and I was, me and my wife and my pup were out there and I said, Hey, Denise, come on over and we're going to, I'm going to show you this new outpost we just put on Lake Sarah. And there was a guy sitting there. And um, I go, you know, you might be the first one using this. We just put this in today. And he goes, oh, yeah, I saw this over at Long Lake. I get it. And I was like, yes. oh, that's right. People go from Long Lake to Lake Sarah to Lake Independence. Mm-hmm. And they're getting it. And it's, you know, it, it was it was a pretty interesting little feeling that I had. Like, I, he's like, yeah, I get it. Uh, and he was happy to use it. He stopped right at the right spot. And if we would have started with something like this in 1987 when Milfoil came in to Lake Minnetonka, I I just can't imagine what it would be like now. Because, you know, my I still have to think about recycling. Okay, it you know you got you got the can and and I still have to think about it. Eighteen year old doesn't even think about it anymore. The can goes there. That's where it goes. It goes recycling, right? And so I'm just looking at this as a long-term play. You know, in 10 years from now, this will be the social norm. It's going to be simple. And this is what we do. And we do it because we want to keep our accesses free and open to the public. We don't want gates. We don't want, you know, um, we we just, we do it for the right reasons uh, and, and for the lake and also to keep keep it open and free for everybody. I've got a story for you about Milfoil in 1987. It's a doozy. But first, we're going to pay some bills. Tony Bruff is my guest today. We are talking about Lake Minnetonka life and the future of uh, some of the public access there. But first, let's pay a few bills. You're listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. 
I would like to thank North Dakota Tourism. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. North Dakota right now is home to more than 800,000 plots hunting acres. Plots, those are private lands that are open to public hunting. The guides, they show you where all this land sits. Right now, North Dakota's ringneck pheasant crowing counts are up 15%, and the state has an estimated 2.9 million breeding ducks. <laughs> if I was there, I might even be able to hit one. It is an absolute outdoor oasis just waiting. Bag your limit in this fall in North Dakota. Visit legendarynd.com. Also, we'd like to thank our good friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Finally, we are talking about clean water. Connecticut, do you know Connecticut? It's no secret. The Shirks, we love our Connecticut water. We live in the country, and we have plenty of that ironclad well water. That is good news and bad news, right? Well... We treat all of our water with the Connecticut Whole Home Water Treatment System. We also use Connecticut's K5 Drinking Water System. You know that white buildup you get around your faucets? We get none of that. The dishes are squeaky clean, and Katie loves what Connecticut Water does for her hair and her skin. And maybe the biggest part of this, the Shirk Boys constantly fill their water bottles at home before heading out to hockey or soccer. The best part for me... We've got well water that tastes great, and the foul smell is gone. Call Connecticut like we did and look forward to clean, safe water. All right, I told you I have a story for you. Before I was old enough to drive, we started hearing about milfoil on Lake Minnetonka. And I had a neighbor, and we brainstormed a little business. He had a, I think it was a Datsun pickup truck, little, what were they called, like Datsun 210s or something, just a tiny little pickup truck. So we got a car battery, an electric winch. We had rebar uh, that we had welded into about a five-foot-wide rake, and we would go house-to-house house down in Gray's Bay, which I think is one of the areas where they first were dealing with milfoil. And for, I don't even remember what we charged. We said, we'll take care of your milfoil. And so we would take this big three-foot steel spike, pound it into the beach, put the winch on it. I would walk this rake out as far as the cable would let me go. I'd drop it in the water. We would winch this stuff in. We would fill that little Datsun with weeds, you know, it would roll down the road with the back scraping on the ground and the front wheels darn near off, and we'd dump this stuff off in the woods. Keep in mind, this was like 1987. I was 
14 or 15 and my buddy was 16 or 17 and we would just clear out. Obviously, we were taking more than just milfoil out at the time. We didn't know any better, but that was one of my first gigs as a kid. I'd go back to those days. I was a senior at Blaine. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Did you know what milfoil was back then? I didn't. I didn't. And in fact, I used to sail on Coon Lake all the time, and then I'd Domino's Pizza Drive at night. And so I'd sail all day, and then I'd be late, and I'd be driving real fast. And I think this was 88, drought. Yeah. The I had big, no the idea. big one, right? Yeah, I had no idea it wasn't supposed to be sunny every day. I was like, <laughs> I didn't know. It was sunny every day. I was like, well. And then, you know, as you get older, you're like, oh, some days it does rain. I didn't, you know. Yeah, that was my, that was my summer of my senior year. And I can remember what Minnetonka looked like. Right, there were docks as far out as you could see, and they were dry. Right, there were areas where it was just flat. And even this summer, with the water going down as far as it did, we started to talk about those old days. Is it going to start to look like that? And in some ways, it started to get close. And you know, it's a lake. Lakes change a lot. Yeah. And you know, back in the '60s and maybe '70s, I want to say they direct they, they dumped the sewage directly into the lake. And you could see why Zeta grade would be a C plus or so. And when they, you know, put it in the lift stations and rerouted that around the lake, amazing how much the water quality improved. Mm-hmm. And it's been sitting, we'll say why Zeta Bay has been sitting at like a, you know, B plus, A minus for years. And then, you know. Which Z- is crazy when you think about how busy and how developed that lake is. Yep. It's amazing. Yep. And then all of a sudden zebra mussels come in and. It's jumped up to an A plus <laughs> as far as clarity. <laughs> Minus the zebra mussels, yes. 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 All right, getting back to the North Arm boat launch in the next chapter. Um, it is amazing. There are very rudimentary initial drawings out there right now that are so much fun to look at. What's what's the process to get this done? I mean, should people expect that Minnetonka is going to have a new access in the next 12 months? Uh, no. So, again, I'm not leadership. I don't control the budget. <laughs> so, for the first step really is to get this out to the public, get some comments. You know, is this something that we want? And everyone's going to have an opinion. Everybody's going to have an opinion. And I'm hoping they will look at it and say, hey, this is really something special. And then, you know, it's a matter of finding the funding and how we want to go about doing that. And there's people a lot smarter than me on that end. You know, I'll do you, listen to you. Do you go for a grant? Do you want to do it through a county capital improvement project? Maybe it doesn't fulfill, you know, maybe there's other things higher priority. You know, um, the, the first step though is w- what is the vision and what is it going to cost? And then, you know, we have a fantastic county board and administrators that will look at that and go, you know, they will make their decision. It's a county access. And so they will make their decision on what process we would want to go from that point on. So. Rough launch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely not all me. Uh, I, you need to stop with that. I know it's, it's not. But the point is, you have a lot of passion for this. You have a track record for getting things done on the lake. And 
I'm intrigued at yeah. what the future is going to look like over there. I, I won't ever celebrate a plan. <laughs> so we will celebrate Smart when man. we have something in the ground. Um, a plan is, you know, the, the way to get there. And you need to show people what you're thinking about. But um, no, we're not going to celebrate a plan. We're going to celebrate when we make North Arm into something that everybody loves and, and feels comfortable with. And it's an access that's 2021 and future, whether that's rechargeable vehicles, whether that's anybody can get there and fish for the day or sit and relax and look at the lake. Uh, you know, we put a osprey nest on, on oh. that access. And I couldn't believe the number of people that just would come there with their cameras. To and, watch. And yes. watch and take pictures all summer. It was just amazing. And so, you know, this is a small footprint. You know, there's parks that are fantastic that, that, that do a lot of this too. So, but this is what I have to work with at, 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 uh, through my program. And, and, um, but you're an angler. You've been all over the place. You've been, you've put boats in and taken them out at every sort of launch you can imagine from A plus to F minus, right? And, oh, yeah. And you get a chance to just go, what should it look like? What, what would the, perfect scenario be that's fun it is and it's fun you know when we show this to people like you and you go hey what about this mm -hmm. and we get to think about it and and like you said start from a blank um you know we can if we can get that storm water underground then we got the whole footprint basically to to play and to figure out what the best um we definitely don't want it to look industrialized that's one of our goals. I don't want it to look like, you know, just a parking lot. Um, we want it to have a calming feeling. We want it to, to, to feel that everybody knows where to drive, where to go, uh, making it easy. Make the ramp nice and big and wide for people that are newer on, on backing up and so they don't stress as much. I love um, the idea of the bus stop so people can get to and from. Yeah. And especially not have parked vehicles. Yeah, right? That's right. Now you can fill it up with people, but not take all the space that you don't have space for to put in cars. Yep. And if you never fished out there, you're going to get every species. Yeah. yeah. I suppose no trout, but uh, you're going to catch a little <laughs> bit of everything. And, um, you know, I watched a guy bring in a 38 inch muskie the other, you know, and he is like, this is my second one of the day. And wow. he was taking wow. pictures and he got to go and swim away. And, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. So if you've never been out to any of the fishing areas on Lake Minnetonka, you got Narrows, you got Coffee Cove, you got North Arm. And even where these county roads cross, there's a lot of places where you can mm -hmm. just walk right down there and uh, throw a bobber out. And it's, it's, it's quite entertaining. Yeah. A story I've been sitting on or trying to track down for years is the dancer at the Narrows. The dancing angler. Oh. Have, have you never been through and seen this guy? So he fishes and he dances and he sings and he waves and he puts on a show. Like he just loves it. And I'm dying to know who this guy is because I want to shoot a story on him for Minnesota Bound, the TV show. Yeah, we got to find him then. We'll find him for you. It's your assignment. Yep. I was. You're going to see him all the time now because you're going to be looking for him. I, I was at Maxwell Bay and uh, in this this you know 
probably you know, an older lady, was fishing with a cane pole. And it was, I just watched her, and it was art. She flipped it in. It just gently rested the crappie bit. She lifted it up. And in a single motion, the fish came off the hook, was in the bucket, and it, the bobber was back in the water. And I was just watching her. I'm like, I want to be able to do that. And because here I am fumbling all over to open in the forgetting to open the bale and it comes back and ricochets and your line gets all twisted. And, you know, I, and uh, I spent a half an hour one time on a Saturday just watching her fish and learning so much from, from how she was doing it. It was just fantastic. Yeah. All right. Before we go, you also have some play time. You have been known to fish a time or two or three or four or five. What is your best fishing advice for people on Minnetonka? Well, let me give you my best fishing advice for shows like yours. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Speaking of a can of worms, uh, it is now open. Go. Give, give us something, will you? Come on. Give us something to understand, you know, just go out there and enjoy it. You know, you know, you'll say stuff like go shallow. And what's shallow mean? Is that two feet? Is that eight feet? I, you know, give me some specifics. You don't have to say go over here to this GPS point, but, you know, give me something that kind of says, you know, because to me, I was in a fishing league for 10 years and I started out with a minnow and a jig around Lake Minnetonka. And I went 18 feet, and I just jigged. And if I caught a fish, I marked it. If I got two fish there, okay, that's a spot. And I just, I had the patience to do that. And then I watched all these other people, you know, beat me all the time, and they're trolling. So I started learning how to troll. And, they, you know, you guys always tell me, you got to get right on that weed edge. So I'm pulling up weeds all the time because I'm trying to get right on the weed edge. And all of a sudden I learned... You don't have to be right on the weed edge. You can be off like 10 feet, and then you don't have to get weeds all the time. They come out and grab it. So we, the public, would love to have something as far as specifics. Sounds to me like you're fishing too deep. <laughs> you should go shallow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to rub it in, but my 10-year-old and his best buddy actually placed first this summer in the Lake Minnetonka American Anglers Kids League. And I just want everybody to know he was drop-shotting around the weed edge. He was drop-shotting around the weed edge, they always ask. <laughs> but that's the thing about that lake. You have to be in the right weed edge. All my spots from when I was a, uh, in a fishing league do not work anymore. Nope. And it's that's not a Minnetonka story. That is a Minnesota story, right? Milfoil, zebra mussels, they changed all these lakes. Gull Lake, which is, you know, my home water now. If you try to fish like you did 20 years ago, you're not going to catch much. Minnetonka is the same way, and people still refuse to adapt. You said it, lakes change, right? Which means the way we fish needs to change too. I am perpetually baffled by Minnetonka. Because I, I joke, right? We'll be sitting on one of your buoys, and there will be monster boats with people just kind of looking at the sky, have no idea what they're doing, racing between us, half a cast away from us, and we're still catching fish. Yeah. That's it's amazing. That's what's incredible about yeah. that lake. Yeah. Now, I want to punch a wall, but 
You know, <laughs> I grew up where my dad used to tell me, hey, you're boating and you're making a wake, you see somebody fishing, you slow down. Of course. And you make a no wake and you pass them and then you pick back up. And of course. It's amazing how it's changed. Yep. All right. Can't wait to see what you come up with. Keep up the good work. And yes, you, you are the keeper of the lake and it's yeah. a special place. <laughs> Hennepin County. <laughs> Hennepin County. Listen to you. Tony Bruff, my guest. Thank you. I will see you on the water. All right. But not till next spring. Have a great New Year's. You do the same. Hey, this is the Minnesota Bound Podcast, and you've been listening to the stories behind the stories. Presented by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. The Shirk family uses Connecticut. You should, too. Also, thanks to Thousand Hills Lifetime Grazed Beef. Tasty beef raised the right way right here in Minnesota. North Dakota Tourism. Plan your hunt at LegendaryND.com. Star Bank. The bank we use at Ron Shera Productions and the Minnesota Propane Association. Until next week, I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Do not forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.